It is the final day of February, usually. Instead, the word penultimate can be used to describe this 24-hour period in relation to its placement in the month. There is something about Leap Day that thrills me, but otherwise this has nothing to do with what's in this particular installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm Sean Tubbs, a person of simple pleasures. On today's program, the city of Charlottesville will respond by March 15th to a lawsuit calling for the overturning of the new zoning code. The proposed budget for Fluvanna County for fiscal year 2025 will not be built on a tax rate increase. Albemarle County has published a report on what local government did in 2023. And a group that provides scholarships to Charlottesville students in need lays the foundation to seek additional city funding to do the same for adult vocational education. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, one of the biggest human tragedies of our time is the proliferation of human trafficking. To address the issue and discuss solutions, Women in Philanthropy United are holding a panel discussion on March 14, 2024 at the Hillsdale Conference Center from 9 a.m. to 10.45 a.m. with four experts who will offer their perspective. The panelists are... Dr. Jennifer Andrews, a child abuse pediatric specialist at UVA and the Foothills Child Advocacy Center. Annette Cox, a victim witness manager with the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Western District of Virginia. Dr. Sirwa Ertel, adolescent pediatric specialist and assistant professor of pediatrics at the University of Virginia. And Detective Michael Schneider. Charlottesville Albemarle Human Trafficking Task Force, and a member of the Southern Virginia Internet Crimes Against Children Task Force. The panel will be moderated by Alicia Lenahan, Executive Director of Common Grounds Healing Arts. The event is free. To learn more, visit womenunitedseville.org slash events. The city of Charlottesville has been served with a lawsuit seeking the overturning of the city's new development code, which includes the creation of more development rights on almost every single parcel of land. A group of property owners filed a motion in Charlottesville City Court claiming that the city did not comply with requirements to study the impact of that additional density. While the suit was filed on January 16th, the papers for White v. Charlottesville were not officially served to city officials until February 9th. In an email sent to Charlottesville Community Engagement, City Attorney Jacob Stroman said that council intends to vigorously defend the litigation with the goal of favorably concluding the suit as soon as possible in order to reduce the burden of litigation costs to city taxpayers. Stroman said the city's official response will be filed in court on March 15th and added that Charlottesville's adoption of the zoning code happened after a public process known as Seville Plans Together. One of the attorneys for the plaintiffs in White v. Charlottesville is Mike Durdain, who previously represented anonymous landowners seeking the overturning of the comprehensive plan adopted in November of 2021. Charlottesville Circuit Court Judge Claude Worrell threw out all but one count in the first version of that case in August of 2022, and Durdain filed a second motion last February. Both of these lawsuits are no longer active, having been declared a non-suit on February 12th. 
Additionally, another lawsuit against city council has also been declared a non-suit. Cabell Marshall had sued the city in May of 2022, seeking the overturning of council's vote to rezone 240 Stribling Avenue a month before. At least one other legal action against the city is still pending. A group of property owners in the Jefferson Park Avenue neighborhood sued council in October of 2022 over a special use permit for additional density at 2005 JPA. The website for the Charlottesville Circuit Court lists the status as active, as well as a list of proceedings in 2023. Meanwhile, the development code has now been in effect for nine days. No new site plans have been filed during that time, nor have any of the new development plans that are required. A demolition permit for 600 Alta Vista Avenue has been filed, and a map submitted as part of the application is dated today. Shirley's Place LLC bought the 2.17-acre property in November 2023 for $300,000, and the estimated cost of demolition is $20,000. The structure was built in 1910 and has no historic protections in place. So far, there does not appear to be a subdivision request associated with the property. Earlier this month, another demolition request was filed for 1105 Grove Street in Fifeville. A firm called Trio Properties bought the property for $100,000 in September 22 and listed in April 2023 for $450,000. The listing was removed in October, according to materials on Realtor.com. What's going to happen with any of this? I'm here to report as much as I can. The five-member Fluvanna County Board of Supervisors will hold a work session tomorrow night on County Administrator Eric Dahl's proposed budget for fiscal year 25. My fiscal year 25 budget uh, budget uh, proposal totals total budget 107.5 million. Um, so with my budget proposal, there is no change to the real estate tax rate. Remains unchanged at uh, 84 84.4 cents. Dahl said the personal property tax remains unchanged at $4.10 per $100 of assessed value. The overall increase in county expenditures are $1.9 million, or a 1.9% increase, over the amended fiscal year 24 budget. Some of the budget pressures, you know, certainly increase costs for providing public safety. Um, you know, the biggest one is, you know, kind of new. We have the newly created Department of Emergency Services, which is now providing paid county staff EMS providers. Dahl said other pressures include updating heating, ventilation and cooling systems at the 33 public buildings run by either the local government or the school system. And then just the increasing cost of goods and services over the last 12 months, the CPI increased 3.4%. And certainly budget pressures, you know, we want to maintain competitive salaries and benefits for county and school system staff. In addition to tomorrow's night's work session, there will be a series of work sessions throughout March with a public hearing scheduled for April 10th. Tonight is the public hearing for County Executive Jeffrey Richardson's proposed fiscal year 25 budget of $629 million, and the public hearing begins at 6 p.m. in Lane Auditorium. Last week, the county released a 24-page community report for 2023 that may serve as a sense of what the local government has been working on. 
Richardson's message points out that the county finished up one strategic plan and began implementing a second plan adopted in October of 2022. A common theme is support for the defense industry, the second biggest sector in Albemarle County. Richardson is quoted in the report as saying that the Rivenna Futures Project, uh, which was the acquisition of 462 acres of land along Route 29 near the Rivenna Station, is there to solidify the long-term vibrancy of Ravenna Station in Albemarle. The purchase was announced last May, as I reported at the time. The report is a good primer for anyone who might want to know how Albemarle County works, with Richardson as executive and the six-member Board of Supervisors serving as a legislative body. There are details on top officials, as well as initiatives that happened in 2023. Here are some of them. The county's first street sweeper got the name Sweeping Beauty and removed 170 and three quarters tons of debris and trash from over 419 miles of roadway. The Southern Albemarle Convenience Center opened in Keene after being paid for by the county and is now operated by the Rivanna Solid Waste Authority. Five climate-related grants were given out through a new program in August, as I reported at the time. Ground was broken for the new court system in June of 2023. A new human services alternatives team was formed and assisted nearly 150 people in the first six months. And an on-demand transportation pilot called Microcat launched in late October and is already slated for permanent funding beginning in July of 2024 in the recommended budget. There's a lot more in the plan. There's a link in the newsletter. What jumps out at you? You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out, one Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try one before you buy one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of e-bikes that they lend out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out the service at ebikelibraryseville.org. One more story to go today. There are nearly three dozen people in Charlottesville whose hopes and dreams are being assisted by a long-running program started with initial seed money from the city council. The Charlottesville Scholarship Program has been around for about 20 years. We provide financial support and mentoring to high school seniors and adults in our community who are pursuing post-secondary education, either at the college level or through vocational training. That's Ella Jordan, a member of the organization's board of directors. She made her comments at Council's February 20th, 2024 meeting. There have been 188 scholarships made to date, and 89 recipients have earned a degree or certificate. 
But helping cover the cost of tuition is just part of the program. We provide ongoing one-to-one support to every scholar through our volunteer navigation program. Jordan said scholarship recipients can also attend vocational schools because certificates for trade can add to a person's earning potential. Charlie Rogers, the chair of the Charlottesville Scholarship Programs Board, said city investment has been crucial to the program's success. Back in 2001, you seeded this program with $250,000. So we've taken that $250,000 and grown it to $1.1 million in our endowment. There are currently 35 enrolled participants. The city selects about a dozen people each year. Thing is, a lot of these kids, they are first generation student, college students. So they're the first in their family to ever go to college. Rogers said he was able to go to college because of a similar program where he grew up. He said that has created generational change with his own children college bound. To be eligible, participants have to be city residents or a direct relative of a city employee. However, there is one exception in the form of a subset of the program named for the late Preston Coiner. After his death in 2012, his family established a scholarship in his name, which is open to Albemarle High School students as well. And it has its own endowment, so it's not mixed with the other endowment. And we provide it to one student every four years. Uh, we've had two students who've gone through this program so far. One has graduated from the University of Lynchburg and one from the University of Virginia. Applicants to this program have to write an original essay on local history. At the end of the presentation, Jordan and Rogers asked council for additional funding to support an endowment that would be dedicated to adult vocational training. Uh, we know that the city is getting involved with KTEC, and what we would like to be able to do is, is implement the same thing we've done for these kids, for adults, where we can have an offering where they can have a scholarship to get through vocational training or recertifications or things like that. So our ask would be to you is to, just like you did in 2001, where you helped us with $250,000 to start this for kids, is to help us start this for adults as well. Councillor Brian Pinkston asked if there was a specific amount of money requested. Rogers said they'd like to start with $150,000. Their cost is less than the kids. So for $150,000, if we can replicate what we did for the kids, we may be able to help as many as $100,000 to $200,000 within the next 5 to 10 years to get into secondary education. Mayor Juan Diego Wade said he would support that investment and mentioned he has worked as a navigator in the program. He's also served on the board of directors, a torch that has now been passed to new city councilor Natalie Oshman. But I am still part of it because it's probably two or three days that don't go by that I don't reach out or they reach out to me. My, you know, probably a dozen, a couple of dozen navigators, I mean, students that I've had in the past that reach out to me for, for guidance. A formal request has not been made in the upcoming budget cycle, according to Afton Schneider, the city's director of communications and public engagement. That's the 
the end of number 641, and for the next week or so, I am out of my usual routine. But in three decades of powering through a dying profession, I'm used to never being comfortable. But I am grateful for the hundreds of subscribers who are allowing me to live the life I'm living now, where I'm occasionally able to visit family members who could use some cheering up now and again. Yet they are stuck with me, someone who perhaps goes on a bit too much about the state of journalism. Every single new paid subscription I get, though, confirms what I've thought since I was 20. There is a market for people who want to know what's happening, in detail, and without an editor putting a thumb on the scales. Every single edition is published with a full sense that maybe I got something wrong, and an ethos that demands I own up to my mistakes. Was becoming a journalist at 19 a mistake? I'll never know the answer. But I do know that Ting will match the initial subscription for every new paid subscriber through Substack. Though if you want to pay with a check, that's fine too. Thanks for listening, and let's see how number 642 turns out. <laughs>